chapter 15 when he talks about how we are going to uh, be come up and, and be resurrected as people. How many know that uh, the Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first and then, then they that remain will come up. So, uh, and we're going to have these new bodies. I talked about that last week. And, uh, and I don't know about you, the older I get, the more I can appreciate a new body. Amen. And and so uh, and so he was talking about that. So he's taking it, talking about taking us up, and and uh, it, and it just a beautiful bit of scripture. As a matter of fact, doctrinally, if you go back and read First Corinthians chapter fifteen, it is one of the most doctrinally sound uh, 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 just chapters in the Bible because it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection is the hinge. On which our salvation turns. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, guess what? We cannot be saved, and so it's important. And so he really makes a a, um, a hard uh, uh, just cry to the church in Corinth and to the us today that that it is important to understand what the resurrection means. So here in chapter 16, Paul brings us back down to earth, uh, or he brings us back down to some more practical type teaching. This is applicable. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, "This is applicable." It's a hard word to say, and uh, these are things that the uh, Corinthians could do as well, but so can you. And so we covered, I, I tell you what, this first epistle of Corinthians and this whole book is a book of, or this epistle is of uh, correction, and there's, a, there's, there's some deep subjects in here, and, um, but it, there, there's good stuff. How many know you, you can't throw the hard stuff out, right? We got to have it all, and so it all comes together. But and we covered a lot in this, uh, but it's all applicable to us. So we'll look at this. Chapter sixteen, verse one says this. Are you right? Ready? You're going to buckle up. We talked about heaven, and if you need a subheading here, this is the collection for the saints. Some of you are going to roll over on your wallet because you're already scared because I said collection, right? But it says this, verse sixteen, verse one, or chapter sixteen, verse one says, "Now concerning the collection for the saints." As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you all uh, also are to do. And uh, uh, verse two says this: On the first day of every week, everyone say first day. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay, verse three. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So Paul is making a point here. So after encouraging the church at Corinth to labor faithfully, Paul gives them this practical opportunity to give financially. Some of you said, oh, pastor, why do we have to go to this? I'd rather talk about heaven. I'd rather, I'd rather deal with that. But, but there are some things here on earth that matter. And so Paul was, was collecting money, and the reason that he was collecting money was not to fill his pockets. But what you have to understand in Acts chapter 15, when Paul went down and they had this great meeting with, with Peter and James and John, and they were not sure about Paul, the gospel that he was preaching, but they went down to talk and, and to uh, come into agreement on, on what they were teaching. And, and they said, should the Gentiles, at the beginning, you know, all these Jews were getting saved, okay? And, and, and those in Jerusalem were saying, all the Gentiles that are getting saved, they should be circumcised like the Jews. 
And Paul, he is the, they called him the pastor to the Gentiles. And, and he comes in and, and they come into this agreement. And they're, they're, they're working these things out. And they said, and they finally come to the agreement that God's grace is, is sufficient and that the Gentiles, they don't have to go through that process because they, they weren't raised that way. And, 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 but at the end of this, those guys in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was going through a famine. They were struggling financially. They were going through a recession. Come on, somebody, right? The price of their groceries went up 15% too, right? Come on, somebody. And, and in the process of that, uh, Paul had been ministering to the Gentiles, to Greece, and to Turkey, and to uh, all these different places. And they were affluent places, and they had money, all right? And so this whole group there in Jerusalem, they said, Hey, Paul, while you're, while you're preaching to these affluent places, don't forget about us here in Jerusalem. Send your money this direction, all right? And so Paul remembered that. So in, in light of all was, that was going on, he said to the Corinthians, when we meet together, bring money proportioned to the Lord's provision for you. All right. I, I want to just stop and say this. He's, they met on the first day, is, is, uh, first day of the week. What's first day of the week? Come on now, what's first day of the week? That's kindergarten, right? <laughs> Sunday. And, and um, it's interesting. Um, some people say that, that, that you should meet on the Sabbath day. Uh, but we see in the early church, we see in the book of Acts that they met on what? The first day of the week to give to the Lord the first day of the week. Also, Jesus rose from the dead on what day? Sunday, right? Come on. Come on. Help me out. Everyone wake up. Everyone say Sunday, right? So, the, so that's another reason that they met on the first day of the week. How many know that it's important that we give God first in our lives, in all areas? That means our time. Come on. No, nobody wanted to hear that, did they? That means our finances, and that means all, all of those things. So, And I personally believe here that this proportion that Paul is talking about is in, in the least amount is the tithe, which means 10%, all right? Uh, you know, and some people say, well, you know, pastor, that's we that's the, the uh, Old Testament. That's the law. They talked about that then. Um, but the tithe is seen in the Old Testament. Right. We know that. And it even precedes the law before the Old Testament was given to Moses. Come on. How many remember Abraham? He went and he was walking along and he saw Melchizedek. Right. How many remember that story? And it said that Abraham. OK, this is before the Old Testament law. Before that, it says Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Uh, and I believe that Melchizedek is just a, 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 a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. I, I, if you, listen, if you, you're unsure about that, listen, go back and listen to some of the things. I, I, I could dive into that, but I'm not going to dive into that. I mean, there's a couple things. Abraham worships him, number one. And, and so I believe that Abraham had a relationship with the Lord, so he knew who he was. Second thing is, he also uh, brought wine and bread. Hey, what are the communion elements that we have before Jesus? I mean, there's so many things that point to that. But anyways, in the New Testament, some people say, well, we live under the New Covenant. And in the New Testament, uh, you know, Jesus said it in Matthew 23, 23. He, he's correcting the, the Pharisees for neglecting the more important and the weightier matters of justice and mercy. And so he nonetheless says, hey, uh, they shouldn't leave tithing undone. So even Jesus says it in the New Testament. All right, you ready for this? I'm not here to give you a dissertation on giving. I'm not here to beat you up on it. That's not my case. You, we are blessed as a church, and I thank you for your giving. This is not a, a, a thing of correction. This is just Paul 
just laying it out there, all right? We've talked about uh, we've talked about the gifts of the Spirit. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about all these things. So why not just, you know, one more thing. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. That's the Lord speaking. Whew. I don't know about you. I don't want to be stealing from the Lord. God is a God of justice. I, I, don't, I don't want to make the Lord mad. <laughs> But you say, how have we robbed you? And then he tells them, in your tithes and contributions. Um, And that simply tells me this. If I don't tithe, guess who I'm robbing? Come on, say it. Who am I robbing? All right. I didn't write it. (laughs) Um, The the tithe isn't a, a gift that I give to God. It's a return of what is his already. You know, he, he lets us borrow what, what we have. Everything you have, he's blessed you with. He could take it away from you in a second. It, it's, it's his. And so what he has given us the opportunity to steward what he has given us, and all he asks is, hey, can you give back? And here's the thing about our society. Everything in our world is cursed. But when we give back to God the tenth, guess what? God takes the 90 and blesses it, and he multiplies it. Look at this, Malachi Chapter 3, verse 10, a few verses down, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Everyone say, to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessings until there is no more need. And I don't know, I've looked in Scripture, but this is the only place where I see the Lord say, test me on this. Try me. I challenge you. That's, I mean, that's what it says. It, uh, I didn't write it. The Lord inspired Malachi to write this. Thereby, put, uh, it says this, put me to the test. He says, I'll bless you if you'll stop robbing me. That's literally what he's saying there. So bring the tithe to the storehouse. And, and here's the thing. This is the problem. And Jesus said this, you'll either serve God or you'll serve man, man, which is money, okay? And and a lot of people struggle with this. You know, we get emotionally attached to our money. We get emotionally attached to things. And God's saying, hey, if you'll let that emotional attachment to that money go, guess what? I will bless you beyond ways that you can even imagine. And watch what happens. See if I don't bless you is what he says. I I, I love that. So here's the thing. And sometimes we, we always say, if I give to God, I'll get a financial blessing. But that's not always the case. Sometimes the Lord gives us health. Sometimes God gives us emotional health. Come on. Sometimes God uh, uh, protects us from, from mammon and, and issues and, and destruction, right? Things, he keeps things away from you. Like, you know, sometimes I believe that, man, just God has blessed me and kept me and sustained me at times. Maybe just because I tithe, because I, I, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Lord, I trust you in that process. Malachi 3.11 says, I will, this is what God does when we tithe. I will rebuke what? The devourer for you. Whew. You know, the thing about us as humans, we, we think that we always got to make these maneuvers and do this. And God's saying, hey, I will take care of you if you just do what I say. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. 
So not only does does he bless those who tithe, but he he rebukes the devourer. I don't know about you. I, I find comfort in that. I, I really do in my life. Thank you, Lord, for, for keeping things at bay. Maybe your washer hangs in there another six months because you, you, you know you can't pay for it at that time. Maybe God will, will help things go a little bit better. But, but here's the thing. Part of our lack or in some of our cases may be because you aren't tithing. Oh, it's quiet. Nobody wants, no, I don't hear any. Come on, Pastor. Amen. You know why? You're robbing God and the devourer's coming in. God said, I'll help you. I, I, I mentored a young man, and he finished school, and he went to work, and he was making a good amount of money out of, out of school. And, and uh, one of the things that he was going to church, God was really doing something in his life, and his dad called me and he said, I, I know that you uh, mentor my son. And he said, man, but I'm really struggling with this one area in his life that he's opened up to me about. And he's, he's not giving and he's not tithing. And, and, and he said, will you just talk to him about it? And I was like, okay, absolutely. You know, I, I feel like I have a good enough relationship with this young man. And I called this young man and I said, listen, listen. Uh, the Bible says this, and this is God said, test me on this. And God said he would keep the devourer. He's like, man, I, I have to pay off my loans, and I have to do all these things. And I said, I dare you to test God. And I just told him that. I, I dare you to test God. Just try it. And if I'm wrong, come on, you can come back and get mad at me. That's how confident I am in my God. And it was crazy. It was crazy. He, he gave his tithe. He did it. And then. God blessed him. He got a raise. Come on, somebody, right? And then he got offered a new job that paid more just slightly after that. And in a short time, he was able to pay off all his debt. And he said, thank you for that advice that you gave me. Amen? Amen. And, and, and Paul's saying this. Hey, I, I, I'm going to, uh, to give you, he's not saying I'm going to give you charts and I'm going to give you gimmicks and we're going to do fundraisers and we're not going to do that. He's just saying. Bring it in systematically, weekly. Watch it grow. Watch what God can do. You know what? Uh, you know why we have electricity in this building? Because of your giving. You know why we have air conditioning in this building? Because of your giving. You know why we have the instruments we have in this building? Because of your giving. You know why you have, you're sitting on a padded pew and not a metal chair from, you know, wherever? It's because of your giving. You know why you're comfortable in this house? Because of your giving. And you know why we're able to do things missionally and send missions teams out and do things in other countries? Because of your giving. Amen? And here's what I'll say. Uh, um, you know, when we come in, and, and, and man, it's just the first thing that we do. God, I give you this. Then we don't have to scramble for our checkbook, and, and do, we just know, God, this is yours. Lord, I trust you in this process. Here's the second thing right here, plans for travel. I, did, I didn't mean to, to, to stick on that that long. Plans for travel is, is the heading here. He says this, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. He's talking to the Corinthians. Paul is actually in Ephesus here when he's writing this. And he says, for I intended to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, even spend the winter must not have been Indiana because he wouldn't want to stay there in the wintertime. But so that you may help me on, on my journey wherever I go. Verse 7 says this. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. He's, not, he's just saying I don't want to make a quick trip. I want to I come and I want to spend some time with you. If And I like this statement right here. If the Lord permits. Everyone say if the Lord permits. Paul plans to stay the winter there in Corinth. And that's his plan. And he, 
And then he says, then I'm going to head to Jerusalem. But he adds this little phrase at the end of that that says, if the Lord permits. Think about that for a minute. Proverbs 3, 5 says this. And 6, it says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, right? In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct your, come on, say it. We love to quote that verse, but man, living that thing out sometimes is hard. But I, I like what Paul says. This tells me, all right, you ready? This, here's, here's, here's what we need to know. This tells me that the wise man or the wise woman, okay, uh, or the church who, who maps out their day or, or their week or their month or their year but says, Lord, guess what? You can interrupt us anytime. I'm open to whatever you have. If, if you permit it, I'll do it. We'll make our plans. But if, if Lord, you change the thing, I'm okay with it. Have your way. Uh, and here's what happens when I when I do that, and I, I I expect divine interruption. Guess what? By people and by situations. When I when I get up in the morning and say, Lord, I, I got to go visit people in the hospital, and I say, Lord, uh, Lord, whatever happens today, just let it be Your will. And I don't make my plans and my schedule. Guess what? When I'm interrupted by something, guess what? I don't get all bent out of shape and upset because I have this scheduled plan that I was supposed to do. Right? Because God God is sovereign. Amen. And so when my schedule is set in stone and those moments happen, guess what? When those moments come, oftentimes I can miss them because I'm not being fluid to what God wants. I'm doing what I want to do. All right? I love this. Uh, I talk to I talk to Mike Baker a lot. How many I appreciate Mike Baker. He does a lot around this church, a ton around this church. And every time, nearly every time that we end our phone call, he'll say this. You know, like today, he'll say, I'll see you tonight, and he always says this, Lord willing. Or I'll see you Sunday, Lord willing. And I, I love that because guess what? God is sovereign, and it may happen. James talks about this. Don't, you know, let your yes be a yes and your no be no and all that stuff. But, but here's the thing. We've got to leave room for God to do the supernatural, to, do, to put people in our way sometimes. We just think we're going to the grocery store to pick up some grape juice or something like that, and someone's there, and they're like, hey, can you pray for me? And it's a divine moment, and if we're too busy, we miss those moments. Amen? So I, I like this. We, we can make our plans, but God truly knows how it will all play out. And listen, we've got to be flexible to what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. I, I, we just we do, and and we have to. Verse eight says this: "But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost." And so, for a wide door uh, for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So, you know what I like about Paul? Paul's not a half full, a glass half full person. He's not a glass half empty person. He's neither optimistic nor pessimistic. He was a realist. I like to be around people that are real. Uh, he says, hey, I'm going to Ephesus, and he understands this. There's going to be a great door of ministry that's going to open up, and it, it's, going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be awesome. And, and, but my adversaries, guess what? They're waiting there to pounce me. I know when I go in and I'm able to start ministering to people and people are getting saved and I'm being able to lay hands on people and, and, and lives are being transformed, that the adversary is going to come in and try to take me out and do things to me. I, I like Paul because he's not seeing everything with rose-colored glasses. Oh, it's just a perfect world. You know, he, he understands the enemy and how the enemy works. Nor is he seeing it through the lens of doom and gloom and, 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 you know, I don't stand a chance. No, no, no. He's just saying, hey, I'm going and things are good things are going to happen, but I am aware. 
I'm aware that my adversary is there. He says, I see opportunity ahead of me to minister, but I know the enemy is going to try and stop me. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5, 8, to stay alert. Our adversary, the devil, he walks around like a what? Roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Paul is seeing the opportunity, but he understands the opposition. And as the church, we have to walk into the same maturity, amen? And we have to see the opportunity to win the lost, to help the hurting, to feed the hungry. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. There's so many things that we can do. Lord, we open this door of ministry and let it happen. But know when we, when we uh, uh, store, uh, we start building the kingdom of God, the enemy is going to try to come in and discourage and divert and, and, and make us want to quit. All right? I, I've been talking about spiritual battles uh, the last few weeks. And so we understand our, our enemy, he's, he's sly. He's slick. He, he, knows, he knows how to get you discouraged, to get you out of the fight. But Paul says a little bit later, he says, stand and, and, and you know, uh, against the enemy. And so we got to be like Paul. We have to walk in maturity. No, hey, God's going to open this door, and it, it may not just be perfectly uh, roses and flowers and, you know, all this good stuff. But I know the enemy is going to come in, too, and try to discourage and, and fight. Look at this, verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Everyone say despise. Help him. Everyone say help him. On his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. So um, I like this. Paul in essence right here. D Timothy is his young protege minister that he is. But Paul is sticking up for this guy that he's mentored that he sees potential in. That he knows that God has a call on his life and he's sticking up for him. And, and uh, why would Paul have to defend Timothy to the Corinthians? Because obviously there's this notion that they come in and they probably saw him and said, you're young. You know, you, you can't do this. Don't despise him, right? That's why he would say don't, you know, in, in, in Timothy he would talk about him. Don't despise your youth. You know, don't, don't do that. You know, God can use whoever he wants. First Timothy 5.23 tells us that Timothy, here's one reason I believe that, that, that he's defending him. Timothy was weak physically. And he probably had some sort of ailment in his body or something that he struggled with. Matter of fact, Paul told him, hey, hey, Timothy, you probably should stop drinking the water that you're drinking and have a little wine. Here's the key. He said, little there, all right, and, and because it was medicinal, all right. And so he told him that, all right, and to help with that. And then 2 Timothy 1.7, he tells, he tells us that uh, he was weak emotionally. He was, he was a young leader. Young leaders sometimes don't know how to handle big situations, all right? So Paul said, hey, be patient with this guy. Give him some time. And, and yet Paul, he saw something in this sickly and emotional wreck Timothy. And I don't know about you. I'm glad that God saw something in this emotionally sick Timothy right here. I could actually say that because that's my first name. But, uh, but, uh, and, and that he, he saw his heart and he said, you know what? God's going to use this young man to build the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 1.6 says this, for this reason I remind you, and he's telling Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Remind you, hey, you can do this. Don't let your gifts go dormant, Timothy. Timothy, but stir them up. Keep them alive. Keep that passion going. And it's amazing because Timothy went on to become a giant in the early church. 
church of Ephesus, one of the, one of the best, I, I don't want to say best churches, but one of the most productive churches at that time under this young leader who started off sickly and emotionally weak, but, but God can use him. How many, are, how many are glad that God can use whoever he wants? Amen? I am. I tell you that. Here's his final instructions right here. Verse 12 says this. Now concerning our brother Apollos, all right, and that's not Apollo Creed, all right. Apollos, some of you get that, some of you don't. I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not <laughs> at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. All right, why is this in there? You, if you go back, um, and it slips my mind on the, on the exact chapter in 1 Corinthians. Remember, they were divided. I believe it's chapter 1. They were divided. And some say, hey, I, I serve Apollos. And some say, I serve Paul. And some said, I serve Cephas or Peter. And some say, I, we serve Jesus. And they were all broken into their divisions and their camps, right? It's interesting that Paul would even bring up Apollos here. And, and, and how many know uh, Apollos, what we know about him in Scripture is this. He was a great orator. He, he could get up and he just, man, the words just flowed out of his mouth. And he could keep a crowd uh, on their feet and he could keep them going. And, and, but here's the, what's interesting about that. that. He had a fan club there in Corinth. But, but Paul, he never says, hey, I don't want him to come. He says, no, 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 I want him to come. I want him to come see because you guys need to hear from him too. Not a jealous bone in his body, but it's, I find it interesting that he, he kind of nudged in there. I think, I think you'll see a little bit of Paul's carnality right here where he says, I urge him to visit with, with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will. I think, it, I, think, I, think, I think that God shows us a little bit of Paul's carnality there. Just How many know Paul's human, right? And I think sometimes you see a little nuances there that maybe he was just kind of a little jab there. But, but anyways, uh, but... Apollos, he was this great orator and speaker, but Paul didn't see him as a rival, which shows Paul's maturity. Can I tell you something? No one is my rival. Pastors in this town, they're not my rival. The other churches in this town, they're not my rival. You, you're not my rival. We, we are to be together. We are to be united. I like this. But here's what Paul says. I like verse 13, all right? Listen, you could do a whole series you could, you could build a whole uh, foundation just off of verse 13. I like this. Everyone say, be watchful. <laughs> what are we to watch for? I said it earlier. 1 Peter 5.8, a roaring lion. Be watchful. Keep your head on a swivel. Keep, hey, you're in the battle, right? No one goes in the battle with their head down looking at their phone. Well, maybe some kids in this new generation, Gen A, they might. But, 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 but honestly, a good soldier is going to go in, and they're going to have their eyes glued on what's around them so they know how to attack, right? And, and, and honestly, uh, you know, the enemy, he wants to come in, and he wants to attack the weakest among us. Sometimes the devil will come out the strongest to just bring us down. But, but here's the thing. While we're looking for that lion, there's another lion that we're looking at, the promised lion, come on, of the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, is what the scripture tells us, who is coming back for his church. Amen? Come on, that ought to get you excited. What are we talking about? Heaven. We're not talking about giving for a second, all right? So our perspective is balanced to the degree that, that what we're looking for and what's around us is, you know what, we're watching for the enemy, but we're, I'm also watching for Christ's return. Amen? So be watchful. Here's the next one. Stand firm in the faith. I have a massive oak tree in my backyard. 
and it, 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 it starts as one big tree, and there's three huge trunks that come out of it. It's, it's got three miles of limbs on it. That's, I don't know. It's huge, and, and I love it. And um, it's probably 40 to 50 feet tall, and it's just a huge trunk, just a beautiful tree. I love to just look at that tree. How, how many like to look at big trees? I, I'm just mesmerized by them. Some of you are like, I like to cut down big trees or whatever. I don't know. Um, but initially, the, the, this mighty oak wasn't massive initially. That tree in my backyard, whenever it started, I don't know, probably pre-Civil War, I don't know, it's, it's, it's old, I can tell you that. Uh, it wasn't a mighty, massive tree that it is today. An oak tree, and, and my oak tree, honestly, at one point, it started nothing more than a little acorn that refused to give ground. It didn't quit. Didn't stop, right? It it just it stayed the course. So too, by God's grace, can I tell you something, children of God? We don't have to give ground to the enemy. All right, come on. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Is Christ living in you? Stand firm. Not today, Satan. Right? We always like to say that. Not today, Satan. Tell him not today. Or any day. See, we can be consistent. Come on. In our time and worship every day. We can be committed to studying our Bible and studying the scripture. We can faithfully pray. And, and people who are successful have one thing in common. They are the ones that finish what they begin. That's it. Plain and simple. How many? And, and the Bible tells us to run the race. Doesn't say get first in the race. It says what? Finish the race. It's what it talks about. Finishing the race. And and I can tell you this that you know it can be, you know, our careers. You know, I'm going to be successful. In my we could say I want my kids to be successful, and I I pray that your kids are successful or my family's successful. But it can also be the kingdom of God and the relationship with the Lord. Amen. And, and most people have great intentions and start well, but there's sometimes. Situations happen, and they, they don't finish. They give up. They give ground and say, I, I can't do this. John chapter 17, verse 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is Jesus speaking. You know what Jesus did? He's saying, telling, telling his heavenly father, hey, I finished what you told me to do, Lord. I finished, Father, what you asked me to do. He finished his work of the Father not just something Jesus journaled or said, it was actually something that he walked out and he did. That is the greatest example for us, all right? Listen, some of you have started this relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't quit ground. Don't give the enemy any place. You just keep going and going and going and finish your race, amen? I've learned in my life it's easy to start something, but it's way harder to start to keep going and work until it's completion, right? I've learned that in my life. Oh, all you have to do is say, I'm going to do this little project at my house, right? Come on. Come on. I, I know I'm talking to everybody in here. Oh, this is, we're just going to do this little project. It'll be so easy, right? And you tear the wall out, and you're like, oh, I didn't know that was behind there. I didn't know that was a load-bearing wall. I didn't know all these little details. And, and then it becomes a big project, and then you forget about it, and then, oh, we ran out of money and all these things, and we quit the project. You know, and there are certain things are like that in our lives, right? But, but 
as believers, come on, we are to complete what the Lord has started in us. I heard this story of a man who, speaking of, of, of things, I heard the story of a man who went to eat at a fine restaurant. He walked in and the maitre d' said, sir, uh, you got to have a tie to eat here. And he was really embarrassed for not having a tie and he ran to his car. And the only thing he could find in his car was a pair of jumper cables. And he put those jumper cables on around his neck. And he walked in, the maitre d' looked at him and he said, hey, you know, will this work? The maitre d' said, yeah, I guess it will. He said, but don't you start nothing, all right? All right. Come on, if you paid more, you get better jokes, all right? I'm joking, I'm joking, that's a joke. Um, I say that to say this. We often start with good intentions, even with the Lord, to finish. But oftentimes we fail because of situations. And the difference between somebody who finishes and somebody who doesn't is determination. That's it. When I ran track, and I've told this story before, I believe, I, I, my coach said, you're fast. Believe it or not, I was pretty fast when I was younger. And he said, you're fast, and you're going to run hurdles. And I was like, I've never run hurdles in my life. I don't like jumping over stuff. And he said, I'm going to teach you. And in one week, you're going to be a hurdler. And I'm like, okay. So one week, I went to practice. I learned all the steps and tried to do all that. And, 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 and I'll never forget, we started. And I took off, and I made it over the first hurdle, and uh, there was a false start, so I had to go back and restart, okay? That, that messed with my head, and, and I don't know if you've ever ran hurdles, but you got to count your steps. It's a matter of counting your steps between every hurdle, because if you get off, all right, if you get off, it is tragic, all right? And, 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 I, and so we restarted again, and we took off. And I jumped over the first hurdle. It was great. I was right in line with everybody. And, and I went to go over the second hurdle, and I stuttered, stepped. I messed up my step. Come on, somebody. And, and the next thing I know, I jumped, and I tripped, and I tripped the guy next to me. And we went rolling. And, man, I skipped my leg up. And all I did, <laughs> I, Lord, forgive me for this. I'm just to show you. Here's how your pastor is human right here. All I did from that point on, the rest of the eight hurdles that I had to go over or whatever it was, I went and I walked to every hurdle and I went and I kicked it over. All the way to the end. Slowly. <laughs> and I got to the end and my coach is sitting there and he goes, what happened there? And I said, I'm done with hurdles. I didn't have what it took to finish that. You know, sometimes it's good. We, we start things for... Uh, um, for the last three weeks for the pulpit, you've heard me, you've heard nothing uh, but stand firm in your faith. Last, last week, man, Pastor Doug preached a powerful word about speaking life in the battlefield, or, uh, life, speaking, speaking the right words. Don't back down. Don't, don't, don't quit. Keep moving forward in Jesus' name. Listen, if there's anything I can tell you in 2024, come on, it's time to start taking ground and stop backing up, all right, and, and, and let me ask you this, has God called you to a ministry, maybe you're sitting dormant in the ministry, you have something that God's laid on your heart, you know, then do, and, and stay in that ministry that God has called you to until God releases you, a lot of people want to try something for a while, it's like, ah, this isn't me, they want to move to the next thing, can I tell you something, people that are planted, man, there's something about being planted and being faithful that God honors, and I'll say this, this is a selfish plug. Has God called you to the media team? Hey, we need people in the media team, all right? Hey, has God called you to that? Then do it and do it with all 
your might until God releases you to do something else, all right? And, and I believe the Lord wants every one of us to do, do uh, uh, you know, to be greatly successful in the things of the kingdom. You know what scripture says? His burden is easy. His load is what? Light. The only question is, will you give ground or will you stand? In the midst of battle, guess what? Lord's going to help you out. And this exhortation to the Corinthians was important because they had been very susceptible to false teachings. And that's why this epistle is full of correction. And that's why Paul said, stand firm. All right, here's the next one. All right, you ready for this? Woo, I like this one. Act like men. The King James Version says, quit you like men, which is another way to say act. All right, this is a little bit old English word kind of way to say that. But the word uh, quit there means to act. And ling linguistically, this is a powerful exhortation. And you're saying, uh, Pastor, uh, I'm a woman. Is God telling me to act like? No. But what I am telling you is this, spiritually, spiritually, get strong. That's what he's saying right here. I don't want anyone taking anything out of context here, all right? What I'm speaking right now, all right? That's not what the word of God says, but this is talking about spiritually. It can also be said like this. Another way that, that, that is worded is, is play the man. Play the man. Toughen up. Emphasize, emphasizing that. Not only bravery, but maturity, right? There's a difference between a 30-year-old man and a 13-year-old junior high kid, right? And listen, uh, God bless our guys that do rural rangers. Man, sometimes they are challenged by some of those young boys, all right? Listen, I know you think your kids are saints, but listen, sometimes your kids back there, they, they say things, they challenge you, and sometimes as a 30-year-old or a 40 or a 50-year-old, your patience is like, listen, no, 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 we're not going to do that right now, right? But play the man. We need, uh, we need men not just to be brave, okay? We, God wants you to be brave, but listen to me, man. We need men who need to be mature. Grow up. Oh, that's not popular, right? Uh, you know, sure, you know, we can run to the fight. But Paul's saying this, run to the fight, but stop acting childish. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, going back to that great chapter of love, he said this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up what? Childish ways. Listen to me. This is a call to men and women of God. Step up. Step up. Not only stand in bravery against the enemy, but, but, but put away those childish things and those immature things that you know you need to let go of. Can I tell you this? And I don't want to call out names or anything like that, but I, I, I well, someone's come to, never mind, someone comes to mind when I, when I think of this story, but I, it's nobody that you guys know, all right? But some people thrive on drama. Come on, somebody. How many know somebody that thrives on drama, right? Don't raise your hands, all right? They overact to everything, right? It's a big deal. Uh, they want attention, right? And I don't know about you. I don't handle people like that very well for too long because they just get on my nerves. I'm, I'm just being real, being honest with you. If you're that way, I love you. Come on. I'm praying God changes you, all right? But this is what I know. God has called me. To grow up spiritually, put away childish things, 
And, and, and here's my heart. My heart is to grow every day. Your heart should grow every day. You should be more mature in Jesus today than you were a year ago. And if you aren't, you are failing. Amen? Here's the next one right here. Be strong. Everyone say, be strong. Moses told his protege, Joshua, in Deuteronomy 31, 7, and also in 23, he said, be strong and courageous. I love that verse. Later, Joshua chapter 1, verse 16 and 18, Joshua says this, all that you commanded us, we will do. And he says this, only be strong uh, be strong, the people echoed. And that's a, that was the thing he told them. He said, be strong and courageous. You know why? Because somebody imputed into him, hey, be strong. And then Joshua, when the time came, guess what? He was strong in the Lord. He took the children of Israel. I was talking to someone earlier today. You know what? Joshua, he was a no-nonsense leader. When Moses died and God gave him the green light to move forward, guess what? They went right into the promised land and started doing what God had intended them to do 40 years earlier. Amen? I love that. So so to the men, all right, you ready for me? To the men at this moment, let me speak to you, all right? You ready for this? All the dads, all the fathers, all the grandfathers, your family will follow you. They'll follow you. If you're strong in the Lord, and Paul tells us, he's ex exhorting us and he's exhorting the the Corinthians, he's telling us, be strong. I like that. Job chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that Job, you know what Job did every day? He made sacrifices for all his children daily. What does that mean, Pastor? That means by the strength of his hand, he had a lot of kids, that he would sacrifice an animal or a bull for each one of his kids and he put energy and effort into that. Everyone's like, what, what are you asking us to do, Pastor? Listen, as, as dads, as dads, listen, we put energy into our kids and into our families. And we, we give up comforts of our life to help our kids and support our kids and our wives. And, and, and our ease on behalf of our wives and children. But men, in the time we live, to do anything less than that, anything less than being strong is not an option. All right? It's not an option. Everyone say, failure is not an option. All right, here's the, here's the precursor to this. And I got I to gotta kick it in high gear. Verse 14. So we, let me go back. Can you go back to 13 real fast? Yeah. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Verse 14, look at this. Let all that you do be done in. Woo, here's the, here's the, I like this. Quick recap, Paul tells the Corinthians. Watch out, stand fast, grow up, be strong. And then Paul brings it all home with this qualifier right here, love. Everyone say love. Let everything be done in love. Why? 1 John 4, 8 says that God is what? 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers what? A multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Uh, uh, 7 and 8a, the first part of 8, says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love what never ends. As a husband, I have, uh, I have done so many things not in love. There's been times in my marriage where I, 
I have said things, and I didn't, I didn't use the lens of love, and I've, I've hurt my wife's feelings, and you've, you've done the same in here with your spouse, wives, and you've done that with your husbands and whatnot. There's been times as a father that I've done things that I did not do in love with my kids. And as a pastor, there's been times, man, I, I'm just showing my human side here. There's sometimes I do things that I'm not, I didn't do it in love. Why do I tell you that? To let you know I'm a failure? Nope. But to show you this, I, I, I have a need for, for something that doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, you know, sometimes love doesn't come natural to all of us. It's the Lord works on us. So how can I watch? How can I stand fast? How can I grow? How can I be strong? All at the same time while being loving? I'll tell you this. You can't do it on your own. Nobody in here. You can't do it on your own. The only way that that can happen is through the Son, Jesus Christ, living in us day by day. Amen? And, and I, I don't know about you. Every day I say, God, help me with this. Lord, help me to love. God, help me to see people through the lens of love that you see people. God, help me not to judge them. Help me to, un to see them like you see them. God, you see the potential in them. You don't see them where they're at. God, help me to be the same. Verse 15 says this. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus uh, were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the, to the services of the saints. Verse 16, be subject to such as these to every fellow worker and laborer. So it would seem that the household of Stephanus, his family, were among some of the first converts in the region. That, that's what that kind of tells us. And so Paul says this about them. And he says this in a roundabout way. They were addicted to ministry. His whole family was like, man, we love to be a part. We love to minister. Everyone in Stephanus' house was moved with passion for ministry because of his leading. Guess what? I said that earlier. Dads, if you're strong and you lead, your kids will follow. They will. Mom, if you're strong and you lead, maybe you're a single mom. I don't know your story, but, but if, you, if you're single and you you are strong and you lead, guess what? Your kids will follow you. Can I tell you something about Stephanus? Their, 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 <laughs> their kids saw their parents, Stephanus and his wife, as examples in giving and serving and loving and opening up their home to help people and spending time with church members and loving and praying on them and praying for them. And Paul tells us this, that traveling in ministry, the mom and dad at Stephanus, their kids were not left behind spiritually. They, they came along with them. All right? Hey, that's good stuff, right? But, but we're enriched with passion for God. Why? Because they saw what their parents were doing for the kingdom of God. And guess as a result, man, the ripples of that, they, they fell in love with the ministry. As a result, I like this, their kids were hooked in on ministry. Can I say this? What, what kind of force would our, would our church be? If we all led like that, man, we would we'd be serving and doing so many different things and things that we can't even imagine and, and passions and, uh, you know, what if we served, oh, man, what if we served at the church as much as we served in the passion for our kids' sports? Now, I just stepped on a lot of toes, I know. But what if we did? What if we said, hey, this is a priority. We're going to be there. We're, we're going to, I know you're here on a Wednesday night, cold Wednesday night. I'm not picking on you by any means, but. But, but what if we did, can you imagine what this church could be because of you, mom and dad, leading the way? I believe uh, our kids would say, hey, 
we don't just want to go to church. We are the church. You want to change a generation? Lead the way, mom and dad. Lead the way. We always say, God, here they are. Do this, do this. And God said, lead the way. Show them how it's done. Joseph, uh, not Joseph, Joshua went in the authority under Moses because he saw what Moses did, and then he led the way. He led him. He was a spiritual father. And verse 17 says this, I rejoice at the coming of Siphonus and, and Port, uh, uh, Portinatus and Achaeus because they have made up for you uh, your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours and give recognition to such people. Verse 19, the church of Asia sends you greetings, Aquila and Pris uh, Priscilla, uh, together with the church of their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So when... When Paul first went to Corinth, he lodged with his fellow tent makers. You know, Paul was a tent maker. He stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. And not only did, he, did they become believers, but they, they became strong believers in the faith. And they worked with Paul. They went to Ephesus. And they uh, he, he left Aquila. As a matter of fact, when Paul was in Ephesus, he left Aquila and Priscilla in charge of the church. In Acts chapter 18, you can go back and read that. He left them in charge because they had been built up their faith. He trusted them. And after ministering in Ephesus, they met Paul in Rome uh, where they met in, in their, their home. And, and they, their church met in their home, Romans 16, 5. He talks about them. There's about six instances where Paul men mentions this group. And then they, they, uh, then they returned to Ephesus to help Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila. They went back and they helped Timothy, and who would eventually become the pastor at Ephesus. So Aquila and Priscilla were a couple on the move. I like them. You know why? Because they were flexible and they were determined to serve. They did what was necessary. Listen, we, don't, we hear about Paul, oh, the apostle Paul, but guess what? He had these strong people that were underneath him that were faithful to what God wanted them to do, doing what they did, these people. Verse 20 says this, all brothers, <laughs> send your greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. My favorite verse in the Bible when I was a teenager. Tristan, the Lord says that we should greet with a holy kiss. It's out of context. All right. Can I just say this? The church shouldn't try to compete with the world in technology. Okay? Because the world will outblitz us in technology. I've been to Cowboy Stadium. I saw that big 60-yard screen that they have. We have a projector, and God, thank you, Lord, for our projector, but it's not 60 yards long. We cannot compete with what the world does, all right? We, you know, the, the, the world can out-hype us, right? And uh, it's, it's the church's opportunity to offer. This is, here's the beauty thing. Here's the beautiful thing about the church. You know where we touch? We touch infants. We touch toddlers. We touch Kids, preteens, teenagers, young adults, middle-aged adults, senior citizens, and the ancient people who are, those are all. That's, the church is able to affect that group of people, right? And you know what we can give them that the world can't give them? Truth and love. The world can give them glitz and glamour and all kinds of things, and little girls can shake their little booties on Super Bowl stages and whatnot. But let me tell you, there's no love and there's no truth in that broken thing but the church hey we may not have everything but we can say hey we love you and here's what God says unlike the world only the church can say hey we will speak the truth to you but you know we're going to do it in love and unlike the world we're not out to to make merchandise or to exploit you in, in, in Jesus name we are here to 
love you. Everyone say love. Can I tell you something? The world's desperate. They're in desperate need of God's love. Whether they realize it, and, and they need God's love, and they need God's truth. So Paul told the Corinthians the truth, yet he loved them deeply and encouraged them. I like that. So even though there, there was doctrinal differences, guess what? Sometimes there's doctrinal differences in us. Guess what? I am to love you, all right? So verse 21 says this. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. So Paul had bad eyesight. And here at this point, he normally, he just, he talks and someone transcribes for him. At this point, he says, I'm going to show them that I'm writing this. And so the, the letters get a little bit bigger because he had poor eyesight, most, most people believe. And, and, uh, and, or because they think that maybe he had an eye disease, I don't know. But he's writing here. He's saying, I'm taking the pen from this point on. From this part of the letter, I'm, I'm going to write the rest. So he would speak from his heart. Verse 22 says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Or Lord come. So the word accursed here is the word anathema. And um, we need to know this. Whoever doesn't love Jesus, let him be accursed. It is, is the word, is this a word of harshness? I don't think it is. I'm going to tell you why. I think Paul took a pen in his hand and he pled with the Corinthians saying, if you don't love the one who is altogether lovely, the one who died for you, the one who cares about you, the one who gave everything that he might be with you, he gave his life for you, and the ages to come, he's saying, when you do that, if you don't love this one who is all wise, come on, everyone know, everyone say, the Lord is wise, the Lord is all knowing, the Lord is all loving, the Lord is all forgiving. Paul says this, if you don't trust him, then you curse yourself. If you don't love this one, who is all wise, you curse yourself. And, and, and so we, we love that. Verse 23 says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Verse 24, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. So some in the Corinthian church would say, they, and they would say it today, and, and, and I think people say it today, Paul, if you love us, why are you pointing out our carnality? And, and why are you rebuking us for our immorality? And why are you so rough on us, right? And I believe, I know, I know Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wrote everything. And he said this, I do love you. It's what he's talking to the Corinthians. He said, I do love you. Proverbs 27.5 tells us this, open rebuke is better than secret love. Why do we get... Why do we correct our children? Why? Because we, we love them. We want the best for them. We don't want them to fail. You're not being a good person right now. You're not being a nice person. Stop acting like your mom right now. No, you're, you're not being a nice person, right? We, <laughs> right? And so, listen, the rebuke and the exhortation that, that comes our way, guess what? We should welcome it like like good old friends to us. And we ought to embrace it and say, I I need to hear that. You know, here's the thing. I love every one of you. I, on, you got to know my heart. I love every one of you. But there shouldn't be a time where from this pulpit I don't step on your toe at some point. Sometimes I step on my own toes up here. I'll be honest with you, right? Ouch. But here's the thing. It's easy for me to avoid situations that are prickly or tough. But let me tell you something. That's not love. Love is coming in and saying, no, 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 we're, we're going to fix this. 
We're going to fix this thing. We're going to make this right. Love says, I care more about your well-being than what you think of me. As a parent, I understand that statement fully. I don't care what you think about me right now, Wyatt. We are going to correct this thing right now. Novak, I'll pick on him. I know I always pick on Wyatt. Zaley, <laughs> if you think that uh, I'm nice, that's great. But if what I'm saying will provoke you to love and to truth, to good works, to make you think through what you're doing, then maybe repent. We're heading in the right direction. Faithful, and I like this, Proverbs 27, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But when you are correcting someone, make sure you're doing it in love. Amen. In John chapter 13, there were 24 stinky, dirty feet at a table or at a, at a place. And the remedy to the situation was Jesus, he didn't get up and give a lecture on, hey, you guys should be washing feet right now. Nobody washed feet. He didn't give up and get a lecture. What did he do? He girded himself with a towel. And as an example, he got down in love and started washing feet and saying, hey, this is how it's done. So I, I have the right to and, and the responsibility to give uh, admonish and to exhort and to correct as a pastor. Sometimes to openly rebuke and wound if necessary. I don't always like doing that. But only if, here's the thing, only if I'm willing to wash your feet. All right? Only if I'm willing to wash your feet of the people with whom I deal if I'm not willing to walk with you through life and through difficulty and standing in their trouble, it would be wiser for me to just keep my mouth shut. And Paul had the, had the right to admonish and correct the Corinthians because he worked hand in hand with them. He put their uh, insults. They insulted him. He, they, he risked his life for them. He loved them. And that is why Paul could say, hey, my love be with you. Some received his word, right, and some uh, with love and, and humility and repentance. Some said, okay, I, I need to do this. I need to fix this. And some would say, who does he think he is? And here's what's interesting about this. You know what? That's what prompted Paul to write part two, 2 Corinthians, or the sequel to this epistle. 2 Corinthians, and we'll find out is one of the most personal epistles that Paul would ever write. We're going to learn a lot about Paul. We're going to learn about a lot about his love for people, all right? Amen. I, I tell you what, 1 Corinthians, a giant to, to go through, a lot to, to take in, a lot of good things here, a lot of good things. Bow your heads.